Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. I'm Sarah Ivory, your host. Today, the secret files behind the Dreyfus Affair. You'd think that almost 120 years after the Dreyfus Affair rocked the world, we'd know all there is to know about it. Here's a quick refresher, just in case you need one. Alfred Dreyfus was the French Jewish officer falsely accused of treason. He was subsequently sent to exile on a small remote island. His family, of course, protested the charge. So did some of the leading intellectuals of his day. The real spy was found to be a scoundrel named Esterhazy, and Dreyfus was acquitted. His case became a cornerstone of the democratic French Republic and the subject of a huge number of books from Emile Zola's J'accuse onward. It seemed like there was nothing left to learn about the Dreyfus affair. Then, earlier this year, the French army made its extensive archives available online, including, for the very first time, the notorious secret dossier used to indict Alfred Dreyfus, the innocent Jewish captain. Its contents cast a glaring light not only on the case itself, but also on the personalities, the institutions, and the prejudices surrounding it. All of these details might have remained unexplored were it not for the dogged work of one French historian named Pierre Gervais. Gervais is the co-author of a recent book about the secret file, and he was instrumental in bringing these documents to life. On today's podcast, from his apartment in Paris, Gervais speaks with Tablet Magazine's Liel Leibowitz. Liel has also written a book about the new revelations in the Dreyfus Affair. It's just out as a Kindle single on Amazon. Here's their conversation. Pierre, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Thank you for asking me. So, you know, I just wrote a very short book uh, about this topic myself. I looked at many of the papers uh, from this dossier and its contents. As you know, they're simply astonishing. You know, what quickly really becomes apparent is that in order to frame Dreyfus, his enemies and the army's HQ forged letters, employed dubious experts, and, and really, most shockingly of all, used this love affair between two military attachés and the homophobia it would have generated as a sort of an excuse to seal off all evidence from Dreyfus and his attorney. But before we get into all that, I want to ask you a question, and I really hope this doesn't come off as rude, but you're a historian of 19th century America, right? How did you become involved with L'Affaire, which is this field well covered by, you know, this preeminent French historians? Okay, the answer is even worse than you would suspect, actually. Uh, what happened was <laughs> that uh, I discovered the affair like a lot of people do just by reading a book which interested me, which goes way back to the 1980s uh, by somebody named Jean-Denis Bredin, who uh, mm -hmm. ended up in the Académie Française. And he was the first to publish this uh, pieces of this extremely steamy and, and, and erotic correspondence between uh, two military attaches in Paris, which was used as part of the accusation. And I was flabbergasted. I was absolutely blown away because nobody was ever mentioning it anywhere. And I spent almost 15 years of my life uh, buttonholing every single 19th century specialist I could find and saying, why don't you write something about it? Uh, and when the, when the centennial rolled uh, out, uh, the centennial of the uh, final trial which mm -hmm. uh, in which Dreyfus was finally declared innocent, uh, I, I became really fairly hysterical about this because the whole thing still was not mentioned anywhere to the point where my office mates basically said, look, you know, either you shut up or you write something. <laughs> and that's how it started. It's essentially because <laughs> my neighbors couldn't take my uh, constant whining anymore. 
So, so now help me understand exactly what it is that you thought deserved more study. So you think about the Dreyfus Affair, as, as I did before I read your book, and, and you don't think about a, a sort of gay love affair between two military attaches. T- tell us a little bit about this affair and what it had to do with Dreyfus. Well, that's exactly it. You don't think about it at all because nobody knew about it mm-hmm. till uh, the 1980s. What happened was that the German military attaché and the Italian military attaché were both spies, which was standard procedure for military attachés and probably still is. Uh, and and they were in cahoots and were sharing information, which was part of the diplomatic setup at the time. But they were also lovers. And uh, the Italians specifically sent steaming, very excited letters to his lover, uh, mixing up uh, their own relationship with their business relationship, which is bad manners, I think, nowadays, but <laughs> at the time was normal. And the, the, the letters were fairly explicit. And what happened was that the main letter used to accuse Dreyfus, which is called Ce Canaille de D, there was an initial which was D, which was supposed to, to point to Dreyfus, obviously didn't. But this was used from the very beginning as the centerpiece, the keystone of the entire accusation, except that nobody mentioned that it was excerpted from this rather peculiar correspondence. And that's what I discovered in this Jean-Denis Bredin book. And that's where me and my co-authors actually were several uh, working on this. I mean, my office mates were so bugged that they eventually joined forces with me to write the book. Uh, Basically, we ended up thinking this deserves at least to be said. It's part of the story. It's not changing anything in the overall story. It's not revolutionizing it or anything, but it's giving it some kind of uh, thickness or or depth in a direction which was not uh, studied heretofore, basically. And so listening to you speak right now and also reading your book, I get the sense that, that what really happened is this weird thing in which the people who are trying to to accuse Dreyfus, which are you know the Army HQ, who of course you know also forged letters and, and did a bunch of other you know non kosher things, but but were really using this this uh, you know this this blatant homophobia to mask up their their anti Semitic sentiments against Dreyfus, right? They were, they were kind of presenting this case and saying, okay, well look, we're going to present to the judges in secret this these really salacious letters and, and have them completely closed so that no one else could ever examine or Dreyfus and his lawyer could never examine the evidence. Is that more or less accurate? Yeah, it's that's a tough one because we can't prove it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think your description is correct, but it's not, I have to say, even after studying it for like four or five years, I cannot absolutely prove that it took place that way. What we know, there are several levels to this. What we know is they were anti-Semitic and rabidly so for some of them. They were very hostile to, very xenophobic, very hostile to foreigners. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were also very hostile to uh, the homosexual relationship. They were clear indications that they were also hostile to that. And I'm talking here about mostly the counter-spies, the counter-intelligence service of the French army, and uh, the small slice of the general staff, which was aware of what was going on. Right. There seems to be, though, some sort of larger connection, right, in, in the popular imagination of late 19th century France between foreigners, particularly, you know, Germans, Jews and homosexuals and spies, you know, you, 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 um, 
you enlightened me as to the fact that homosexuality was called in 19th century France, in some circles, the German vice. So, so how, how does that kind of – how do all these biases merge into one well, in the popular imagination? Yeah, that, that's the other part which is fairly certain. Uh, you look at what is published on the topic in the 1880s and 1890s and there is a very nasty turn towards not only anti-Semitism, which is a well-known uh, element with Drummond and uh, the La Libre Parole and, and, and places like that, but mm-hmm. you also have a very nasty turn towards – a medical condemnation of homosexuality, which is turning into moral condemnation of homosexuality very fast. The German Vice is actually the title of a book. Uh, It was published in book form, explaining that basically Germans were uh, genetically homosexuals, uh, pretty much. And the, and the, the idea that France was going to pot uh, in a handbasket because of, you know, practices like that was an idea you could find in the nationalist press fairly easily. So you have very violent uh, declarations against anything, any kind of behavior which is divine behavior linked to uh, ultra-nationalism and anti-Semitism and xenophobia. And you can see that. That's Definitely the case outside of the Dreyfus affair. This is a general atmosphere. So in that kind of atmosphere, putting together a file the way the the military did it had a certain meaning. I mean, at least they were trying. We don't know if they succeeded, if that was why they succeeded, because in the Mm. the first place, they did succeed in getting Dreyfus uh, sentenced, even though obviously he was innocent. So they did succeed. We don't know if they succeeded because of that, but certainly the, the atmosphere was there. So basically, you don't have to come out and say, you know, Dreyfus is gay, which no one, you know, just to clarify, no one at whatever point suggested, but but just to kind of create this 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 shadowy file of 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 half accusations and half evocations that sort of plays on or into the worst of the xenophobic, anti-gay, anti-Jewish sentiments that are out exactly. There. In fact, the fact that Dreyfus was never even accused of being an homosexual is uh, interesting in itself because they accused Dreyfus of pretty much everything else uh, they could think <laughs> of, and that they wouldn't feel necessary to accuse him of that almost feels like they didn't think it was necessary in the first place because it went without saying almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that he was homosexual, but that Jews and homosexuals were the same. You have descriptions of the there is a, I mean, part of the anti-Semitism of the time is a very uh, uh, virulent and nasty strain of denunciation of Jews from the sexual point of view, as uh, people were not quite men, uh, but on the other hand have an overgrown sexuality and can seduce innocent women very easily because that's the way it is. And but on the other end, they are not real men either. So there is a right. whole. Uh, there is a whole theory or crazy theories floating around about the, the, the Jewish sexuality. Uh, that's one thing. Uh, the other thing we know, uh, and that's getting back to the counterintelligence service, actually there are a few fascinating examples of this thinking which sort of popped up in, in implausible places such as an interview which was given in the fall of uh, 1894 as uh, Dreyfus was being basically pilloried and, and smeared all over French press, the French press, and in this interview, somebody who claimed to be from the counter service said, you know, 
Uh, it's all the same. This is a milieu. These are people who are uh, going with loose women and they're foreigners and there's money floating around and all kinds of corruption. And the way the interview is set up, he's describing this kind of fantasy world of corruption, both sexual and personal, of which Dreyfus would be part because he was a Jew, essentially. Right. <laughs> so, right, right, right. And, and, and a wealthy one at that. Right? And a so. wealthy Jew, of course, which doesn't make sense from a spying point of view, because since he was wealthy, he had no need to spy, uh, but which would make sense from the point of view of general corruption and nastiness going on with all those foreigners, homosexuals, Jews, and corrupt people floating around and trying to destroy France. Let me kind of interrupt here and, and, and ask you to, to sort of bring us bring us down to earth a little bit so you know here especially in america we know we know the affair is this great you know historical tale but in france it's much more than that isn't it it's it's what does it mean for french society and politics what what is it its importance well, it was a founding moment beyond, well beyond the, the details of it. It was a founding moment where, uh, first of all, ultranationalism organized as a movement and as a reaction, largely, a wave, a movement of center-left Republican opinion developed and structured itself around what was called eventually the intellectuals mm-hmm. uh, to defend human rights, to defend the rule of law, to defend the republic. And uh, lines of battle were drawn at that point, which basically uh, didn't move until after the Second World War. Uh, If you think about the position of the French during the Second World War, I mean, it was essentially a civil war uh, with a significant number of French, not, you know, that many, but still a good number of them taking sides in the civil war. And the Two camps were essentially the same camps as had been developed during the Dreyfus Affair. So it was momentous. Interestingly, the Dreyfus Affair remained sort of part of the general consciousness of uh, the French, historically speaking, without really being taught in a formal way uh, in schools or anything. But people sort of knew what it was about because a lot of people were inheritors of uh, – political traditions in which it had played a role. Right. And and that stayed till pretty much the 70s, 70s and 80s. Now uh, we're probably in a different universe. And probably one of the signs of that is that now the Dreyfus Affair is absolutely widely told in the school system. And it's one of the basic element which uh, – uh, high school, at the end of high school, you learn about the 19th century France. I mean, basically, it has a, it's fairly well told now, which it was not even 50 years ago. So just, just to, to, to get this right, so, so the core narrative would be, here are these brave intellectuals, and they fought for justice and truth, and they made the republic against the evil, xenophobic uh, uh, right-wingers. Yeah, I, mean, I would say evil. Not everybody would say evil, but I would. But okay, yes. <laughs> uh, and, and, and so what you did is essentially add a shade to it that complicates all these characters. And and so that must have upset a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, there was a a reaction which was a bit surprising. Uh, Yeah, some people were upset. Uh, The adding of uh, homosexuality to the mix, which seemed fairly obvious. I mean, it was no discovery that the ultra-nationalist extreme right was not specially 
uh, tolerant in sexual terms. I mean, this is hardly news. Nonetheless, a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people, not too many people study the Dreyfus affair today in France, actually, at the research level. But the few people would do were basically shocked and said, you know, you shouldn't talk about this kind of thing. This is not, this is dirty. <laughs> this is because because it, it, it turns this this holy, you know, a godly almost right. affair into something. Yeah. Yeah. You're trivializing it. Uh, I was told that by a few people. You're you're turning it, turning it into an anecdote, you know. And I'm, I was saying, look, this is not an anecdote. This is part of the story. And you have to link it to a wider problem in France, which is that when uh, there is a, a, this kind of discussion, like for homosexuality in the public sphere, very often the discussion remains muted until it blows up. I mean, we have no, uh, apparently no tradition, something went wrong with the water or something, and the, the tradition <laughs> of discussion uh, was never developed enough to uh, prevent uh, just sitting on the pressure cooker till it blows up. Now, there is the French Revolution as a precedent, I guess, but if you think of the reaction which was the French reaction to uh, homosexual marriage very recently, Recently, it was amazingly violent. Uh, you were talking about, uh, you know, almost a gay marriage uh, did prompt in France riots, a public suicide in Notre Dame. You know, guy blew his head off in protest. Mm -hmm. uh, there were people beat up. There were uh, a wave of attacks on homosexual bars. This from a country in which, on the other end, uh, there are clearly homosexual politicians which which have been active active for a long time and have never been harassed for that as long as they didn't talk about it so there was a don't ask don't tell policy which uh, held for french society at large and i suspect held for historians as well and so your book came out at just the right moment for that right? it came out last year as all this debate about gay marriage was was beginning to explode. Yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't we didn't make any link that way, and uh, fortunately, I guess for our publisher, nobody made the link either. I don't want to see him, um, you know, burned down or anything like that. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's part of uh, probably it's part, hopefully, of a shift which we have seen in the U.S. as well uh, in this kind of issues, and and it's taking place in France as well. But there is there is a kind of a. a Resistance sourde, kind of, uh, you know, uh, resistance to, to this movement, which is not really open, not really uh, clear in its motives, but it's, it's very, very strong. And we saw that with the book. I mean, the book has been received with uh, some praise from people who are not historians, but the few historians who were specialists of Dreyfus really didn't like it that much. And so l let me ask you one last question. Do you think there's still more angles to be explored uh, in the story? Do you think we, we, we may, you know, talk in, in 20 or 30 years and say, oh, my God, totally didn't realize that there's a whole new layer to the story? Or, or are we pretty much, you know, do we pretty much know everything there is to know about Dreyfus Affair? Uh, you know, my position as a professional historian is that there is always a new angle to start with. I mean, you can pick pretty much any story you want and you will find a new angle if you look at them. Uh, the Dreyfus Affair is so rich and so complicated and so torturous and so central to French history in some ways for the, the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century or most of the 20th century. You can always find new angles and I bet we will. I mean, I hope. Hallelujah. Pierre, thank <laughs> you so much for taking the time and speaking to us today. Hey, you're welcome. Thank you for asking me. 
That was Liel Leibowitz speaking with historian Pierre Gervais, who is co-author of the book Le Dossier Secret de l'Affaire Dreyfus. For now, it's in French only. How do you like my accent? Liel Leibowitz has also written a book about this no longer secret file. His book is called Conspiracy of Letters. It's available as a Kindle single through Amazon. You can find out more about it by going to our website, tabletmag.com. We hope you enjoy it, and please do feel free to share the information with all your friends and family. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm your host, Sarah Ivory. As always, we thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time. <laughs>